I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is Ms. Marie Antoinette Rose Catre, who is the High Commissioner of the Seychelles to the Republic of South Africa, an archipelago of 115 islands in the Indian Ocean of East Africa with a population just shy of 100,000. Welcome to the show, High Commissioner. Good morning, uh, Dr. Malka. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. We understand that you have recently become High Commissioner in South Africa. So can you please share with us a few of the responsibilities that come with holding this role? Uh, Dr. Malka, when you become an ambassador, then you represent your country in, in, in where, um, for me, I'm representing Seychelles in South Africa and 11 other jurisdictions in Southern Africa. Um, I'll also be representing the Seychelles um, at the uh, Southern African Development Community, the SADC, and the current market for Eastern and Southern Africa, which is COMESA. So basically, I'll be looking after 11 countries and two big multilateral um, blocks. That's a um, big portfolio. <laughs> which are the other countries? Uh, we've got um, most of the countries in, in Southern Africa, the neighboring countries of, of, of South Africa. So these are the countries that uh, um, uh, I'll be uh, looking after. As an ambassador, you've got really multiple roles. You have to have a relationship with the different countries. That's at a bilateral level. And then you have to have um, a relationship with the multilateral blocs, mainly the SADC and the COMESA. But also um, you have the role of representation of sexual nationals who are in the southern African region. There's a growing number of uh, um, Seychelles who are traveling now to southern Africa, especially to South Africa, and that's increasing quite a lot. So um, we do have a lot of consular matters that um, get reported to our office. And uh, now we're thinking about really expanding and looking at ways of um, engaging the Seychelles nation uh, with uh, with Southern Africa, be it economic, social, for commerce, for trade, there's a lot of opportunities for Seychelles uh, to play a bigger role in uh, in Southern Africa. And I was going to say, I'd imagine that it's not just about vacationing, but more in terms of emphasis on the, the commerce and the trade. Uh, that's increasing. That's increasing um, exponentially. You won't believe especially for the SMEs, we've, um, we've realized uh, recently that the small and medium businesses in Seychelles are really looking at uh, Southern Africa as a potential market for their products, but also for um, um, to purchase um, materials from Southern Africa, which is much, uh, uh, much cheaper than any other region in the world um, for, their, for their produce back home. So there's a lot of trade going on between... Uh, between Seychelles and the region. And it's mutual benefit because you'll oh, be taking yes, components in as well as extending things exactly, out. Exactly, yes. And then, and then uh, you know, Seychelles is only four hours, a four-hour flight of, uh, to Joburg, to Johannesburg, from Victoria to Johannesburg. And then now we've recently got two weekly flights to Durban. So that's also an uh, uh, increase in connectivity between the Seychelles and uh, this part of the world. 
And what would you say are you going to be your biggest challenges in this role? I, I, when I looked at this question, I was wondering what, what challenges, you know. And uh, I don't look at life in terms of challenges for me, but there's a lot of opportunities. Um, I think the biggest opportunity that's been missed within Seychelles and the region, uh, it's uh, what we call people-to-people relation. You see, we can have a lot of um, formal diplomatic ties Uh, We can have a lot of agreements between nations. We can have a lot of forums where we can, you know, discuss, have really um, have a lot of discussions. We can really, as an embassy, work towards formal diplomatic relations. But nothing beats people-to-people relations. And that's that's that really, if we can achieve that, if we can have more of that, then we will have a very solid footing in the region. Um, When I look, for example, at trade, uh, we can only facilitate trade as governments, um, as uh, multilateral blocks. We can only facilitate trade. But trade can only happen really effectively when you have businesses coming together, becoming partners, and really exploring the region for for the the purpose of their business, but also for growth and development of uh, the respective countries. Um, we've also got a lot of exchanges, cultural exchanges, between the, the Seychelles. We've got a wonderful uh, cultural um, relation, for example, with uh, South Africa, with uh, Zambia. Uh, it's now expanding to Botswana and Tanzania and all the other countries in the region. And these countries have got so much to offer. And we can learn a lot in terms of culture. And they also can learn a lot. Uh, from a cultural perspective of what we have to offer. So um, we're really looking at that as a wonderful opportunity for, you know, our artists from all over the region to come together and, 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 and celebrate our cultural identity. I put a lot of emphasis on cultural identity because if we lose that as Africans, then we lose it. We lose what we really have as 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 a continent so we really have to look at in the face of globalization what are the challenges but what are also the opportunities that we really have to tap into and ensure that you know 50 years down the road we haven't lost uh, our identity we haven't lost what we really are as as africans so we're really putting a lot of emphasis on culture and cultural development and then we're also looking at people-to-people relations in terms of non-governmental organizations, in, in, in terms of charity, in terms of really going out there and making people understand that, you know, the, the, the whole idea of coming together is for not only for the benefit of one particular country, but for the benefit of the whole. So these are the new areas that we're looking into in terms of a very small embassy because we will always have diplomatic ties. We've got wonderful relationship with, with, all, with all the countries in the region. But that's a new area where we're really looking into. And I think and exploring. that in, in the world that we're in today, that connectivity becomes so much more important and the use of partnerships to help amplify. Because as you say, you are a small nation and the way to accelerate and grow progress is yes. through partnerships with like-minded in order to make things happen and bring them to fruition. Exactly. 
Now, our program, Womanity, Woman in Unity, is all about gender equality, which is increasingly becoming a global focus. And for me, building female leadership capacity becomes vitally important for the future of women, not just within a country, but across the continent, and I'd say across the world. And when I was reading up and doing my research on you, I learned that you'd been a member of the Women's Parliamentary Committee in your country, Seychelles, from 2011 through to 2016. And thereupon you took up on the role of High Commissioner to uh, South Africa and 11 other countries within the region, which is a great honor. Do you see the appointment of women ambassadors or high commissioners such as yourselves representing their country correlating with the agenda of building female leadership? When you become an ambassador, doctor, um, then you become a child of the world. Um, I I look at this role more as, um, yes, representing my country, but having a voice in uh, the decision-making process that world leaders are making. Um, then at that level, uh, you can really influence uh, or have a, a say in uh, where where the big decisions are being taken. Whether it's uh, it's it's an agreement between two countries, uh, for example, when we we will if we have um, cooperation in terms of trade, it's important to look at how women can benefit from trade. Um, or uh, you can have a say uh, at discussion levels in the mi- big multilateral organizations, uh, ensuring that uh, women and other minority groups, uh, when we talk about women, we, we should also take in, into consideration other minority groups, then you can really um, become a voice for the voiceless. Because often when we're talking about women, there's almost this triple line that affects it going through from gender through to race and also as, as poverty as being exactly. this three-line yeah, exactly. component. Exactly. So when we talk about women, but also about um, when we talk about gender in this day and age, we should take into consideration that it's not just about women and men. We have LGBT groups. We have other minority groups that we should also take into consideration. If we leave them out, then we are doing the same injustice that's been done to women to them. So we have to take that into consideration as well. So when you become an ambassador, then you can, you can really uh, uh, have a, come with a very strong voice on their behalf. But also for me, um, I really value the contribution of, you see, the, the, the world tends to look at women in political leadership positions. That's fine, that's wonderful, but we should not forget that leadership is not just about economic or political leadership. Leadership is at all the sectors of society. It's about, you know, that auntie at home. You know, we've all got this very loud auntie in the house or in the family, but they, for me, this auntie has inspired me. That's for me swimming leadership, and we should really be talking about these people. And often she's the first person that a child is going to be seeing and forming those fundamental views. Exactly. So I think um, a lot of times we've been guilty of really focusing on women in in, uh, political positions, uh, which is very important. 
uh, when we are uh, appointed as, you know, in, in high political positions or in high positions, such as ambassadors or ministers or um, uh, elected in office in parliament, we should never forget that we represent also a voice of a, mi of a minority group or of a group that needs to be represented. We should never forget where we come from. And we should never forget, like we say in Seychelles, we should never forget the struggle, so to speak. But also value these women who have not attained such high positions, but who are also leaders in their own right and are much more influential in a lot of ways on other women, but also on other men, other young boys, you know, in society. I'm seeing a parallel from the early discussion when you were talking about trade almost as being an outcome, but the importance of focusing on culture because that's the DNA that's that is the, driving yeah, exactly. it. That's and exactly. That's exact word. Looking back into this environment, when we're looking from a woman's point of view, yes, we have positions in leadership roles, whether that's economic responsibility, political responsibility, but the cultural piece doesn't go away. And that's the piece that, that forms and informs society. Exactly. On that note, do you think that as a society we're doing enough to encourage more women to take up positions where they can bring those lost voices or voices that are not necessarily loud enough because they're minority voices mm. to the fore to bring about positive change to their communities? Mm. I think the mistake we are making is focusing on just women to become that voice. I think we have to focus on men as well to become that voice. You see, um, empowerment of women uh, will only happen when men and women really understand the role of both genders in society, of all genders in society. Um, um, I will stop using both genders now. I will say all genders of, of society. Uh, so we really have to focus, I think, a lot on, yes, female leadership, but how do we empower young men in the communities, in the homes, to really understand and value the importance of young girls to begin with, young women, to respect their mothers, to respect their aunties, to respect their sisters, and uh, to respect their colleagues at work, and to respect other women in society. Uh, if we focus only on the female voice, we're missing half of the population, which is also very important for them, more, even more important for them to understand their role alongside women. So no, we're not doing enough because I think a lot of times us women, we're talking for ourselves, about ourselves. We're not talking to those who need to hear us. We're not talking with those, we're not having that narrative, that conversation with our male colleagues. And a lot of times, we also don't treat them as equals because we think they don't understand us. But we haven't made the effort for them to understand us, for them to appreciate us. And that will not happen with this generation, Doctor. It will happen with the next generation when we as mothers as big sisters in the families, as aunties, begin to teach our young boys to start respecting women, to start valuing women, and to start treating them as equals. And not just women, 
other minority groups, gays and lesbians and other, you know, transgender and other groups, disabled people, we have to start by teaching our young men, our young women, to respect people who are different from us. And this is where it begins. So I think we are missing that. We're not doing enough of that. And um, when we are then in a position of influence, like we are here, uh, like other women are, we should really not focus on other positions of influence, but use that influence to focus on that gap that exists. And I think it's a big gap. And I think to achieve what we want to achieve, we have to fix society. Not just women, not just men, but society as a whole. It's a big call to action. It is. <laughs> but it ultimately, is. it's having an appreciation of people, appreciation of diversity, that everybody has a place, and it's a place of, of equalness. Exactly. Whilst we're on the topic of, of women and gender, we know that we're not there yet. But the reality is that a lot has been achieved in terms of driving yes. that progression. Do you think that 50-50 representation across the board is attainable? And when I say 50-50, I know that we've been talking about different gender groupings, but in this context, yes, looking at, at getting for women. Mm -hmm. And it's not just 50-50, Dr. Valka. It's 50-50 by 2030. So this is a big call, a big call for action. 13 years away. 13 years away, and I'm sure both of us will still be alive. <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, it will happen by just putting, just putting a number, a figure to a date. It's not going to happen. And by just pressing for that, it's not going to happen. I, I'll tell you why it's not going to happen the way we're doing it. Um, we can have affirmative action. A lot of people are for or against affirmative action. We can drive uh, gender parity through legislation. That is fine. We can do that. We can have, for example, like we have in a lot of uh, African countries, quota system for equal representation in uh, parliament, for example. Um, but we need to have concerted effort at another, another level entirely. That's not focusing on figures, but focusing on independence of individuals uh, that's focusing on empowerment and what, when we talk about empowerment we have to talk about education number one it's very important you cannot empower women to reach 50-50 by 2030 if you are not giving them the opportunity to be educated to reach the highest level they can, they can reach they can attain you have to have basic health care available to them because a lot of times women who do not get access to proper health care they fall to the cracks of society and that's happening in almost all countries in the region you have to um, give them basic needs the basic needs that they, they, they need to have but also respect the fundamental rights that they have as individuals so, yes, we can talk about big figures and have leg proper legislation, which I'm all in favor for, but we really need to focus on empowerment. 
And it can only happen when we focus on empowerment of both genders, of all genders, um, but with particular focus on women because we want to achieve 50-50 by 2030. That's only 13 years away, like you've said. As we've been talking, I've been thinking that sometimes we may be looking at this in the wrong way. We almost think 50-50 and we have this, this ceiling, this capacity of where the world is now. But the reality is, if you look at the different types of jobs, the different types of innovations that are happening, that we can create more than what we have now, in which case there'll be space for more people to come into, so many more opportunities from an entrepreneurship. Exactly, exactly. Um, for example, I'll give you an example. Um, we, we can really achieve 50-50 in um, political representation in Parliament if we have a quota system. But is a quota system the best system for representation? I think it, it puts, it allows, it gives a ticket to the game. It gives a ticket to the game. But in Seychelles, we don't have a quota system. And how? And up until the last elections, we had, we had reached 45%. Up until the last election. I think it's down to maybe less than 20%. I don't have the exact figure. Because you have also to look at representation, representation in terms of people's choice. I'd the say real choice. I'd say people's choice, and sometimes there's also complacency. Because if you go, we've, we've hit 45, we've only got five to go, go, and if we there don't put enough effort in, it, it shows. You've got to keep at it the whole time. But also, um, you can have, and I've experienced that, and I think we have to be very careful. You can have um, a lot of men representing a lot of women much better than women representing themselves. Us women, sometimes we do harm to the process. Can you explain When we that? reach a certain level, when we attain a certain level of leadership, we have to lead as women. We have to lead so that other women see in us real leadership and uh, we have to lead to inspire. If we don't inspire the rest, then that will not encourage other young women to take up political office. So I think uh, we have to be careful in terms of just having a mean number, just a quota, just a lot, you know, of voices. When we've, we 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 speak, we have to speak passionately. We have to do things passionately. We have to uh, make things happen. We have to drive it. But not just in the in the halls of parliament, not just in the chambers, you know, so that our voters can hear us. It has to happen in the communities. It has to happen back where we were elected. You see, so this has to happen at all. At, I'm talking because I was a, um, a former member of parliament. I'm talking as a parliamentarian. But has, this has to happen at all levels of leadership, you know, in the church, in the business sector, we have to lead to inspire. And if we don't inspire, we cannot expect um, a handout, so to speak. We cannot expect society to just, you know, give us that ticket. We have to also to earn that ticket and inspire other people to earn that ticket. I think um, this is where you will have, not just because for me 50-50 is um, quantitative, but we have to look at the qualitative side as well. What sort of quality of women do we need in society? And that's, it's very sensitive, but it's a frank and honest discussion that we need to have.
Well, I think leaders are the people that communities aspire to become. They represent society in a way. And in fact, I'd say they represent the ideology exactly. of societies yes. that you can aspire to, subscribe to their values, and want to emulate. Exactly. You are listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to Miss Marie Antoinette Rose Catra, who is the High Commissioner of the Seychelles to the Republic of South Africa and another 11 nations in sub-Sahara. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Our High Commissioner, we've spoken about women, we've spoken about culture, we've spoken about society, and I'd like to raise an issue which I think many women still contend with, and that is that they find themselves torn between traditional and cultural expectations as women, as mothers, and yet trying to fulfill their personal needs, professional aspirations in modern society. What would your advice be to women in managing that dynamic? I think uh, managing that dynamic um, comes with an internal factor of understanding that you have to have balance in life. We spend uh, half of our lives in the workplace and half of it at home. So both spheres are very important for, for, for growth and development, personal growth and development. But I think the challenge, you were talking about challenge, the challenge for a lot of women is the imbalance that exists between the public sphere. A lot of them achieve a lot in the public sphere because out there in the public sphere, they're very much on their own. You know, they, this is what they want. This is what they want to achieve. But when um, it comes to the private sphere, then there are other influences, the, the family, the traditions, uh, the support of their partners. And a lot of women are still struggling to be recognized and appreciated as an equal partner in the private sphere. Um, I've seen in, in, in my lifetime a lot of women in a position of power in the workplace, but at home they are still mistreated. There's still a lot of domestic violence. There's still a lot of abuse, physical, emotional abuse by their partners and sometimes by the family. And there's still a lot of pressure by the community for them to stick to the traditions, which is fine, um, if they want to, uh, but to stick to some elements of, in, in terms of tradition that they may not want to. So there's still, and, and this is what I was talking about, by empowering communities, by making also communities understand the importance of um, supporting the growth and development of women. And culture but, can evolve. And culture can, static. exactly, it's not static, it can evolve. But it, it, can all, it will only, only happen when, I keep saying that because for me this, there lies a problem and there lies a solution. It can only happen when we teach our children to respect their sisters, to respect their mothers. If a child is growing up in, um, uh, in, a, in a home where there's domestic violence, irrespective of the fact of whether the mother has achieved so much, we are teaching that child that it's okay to beat up a woman. And we are impacting negatively on the mindset of the next generation. So come 
next 50 years, we will be dealing with the same issues. So I think uh, the, uh, the, 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 we have to talk about the private sphere. And a lot of women do not want to talk. We Sometimes we don't want to talk about the challenges in the private sphere, in the private homes, because it's very private. It's the things that we want to keep to ourselves. If we want to, to, make, uh, to make the change, we have to become the change we want to see. So I think this is, this is a, a, a challenge. But I also see another challenge in the workplace. Sometimes a lot of um, women, we think we need to lead by becoming a man. We have to accept the fact that our leadership style will be different and that we are different from men. We are not the same. We are women. They are men. We, we are physically and probably um, psychologically engineered differently. And that is not a weakness. That is a strength. We have to recognize that our difference is a strength. I don't have to emulate my male colleagues to be at par with them. I have to have my own style of leadership. And I've seen a lot of my colleagues leading from the heart, you know, and a lot of people have seen that as a weakness. This is not a weakness. This is a strength. I was not born like a man. I was born to be a woman, but to be a leader. I will never forget an expression that one of our, our former police commissioners said. She said, I don't want to be a second-class man. I want to be a first-class woman. Exactly, exactly. So we have to be a first-class woman than a second-class man. And I think she's got it spot on. And I think uh, that sort of narrative has to continue. That sort of language has to continue. Now, turning more towards a personal perspective, it's one of the questions that I ask all my guests who have made tremendous achievements in their respective disciplines. And it's about the factors that have contributed to their success. And the reason I ask this question is that sometimes I think people see you here as the High Commissioner, but the reality is you didn't take this position overnight. It took years of hard work to get to this role. So if you could please share with us some of the factors behind your success or elements that you think have contributed to it. Right? Mm. Um, I think our listeners would appreciate it. Yes, um, I think for me, um, one of the factors has been um, the passion for work, but also the respect that you give other people. You cannot lead without respecting others um, and treat people as equals. You know, um, I was just thinking about this question this morning. Throughout my career, I am a woman, I am a black woman, and I am a young woman. So I've belonged to three my sort of minority groups, you know, disadvantaged groups. And uh, all throughout my life, I've gained respect of people. You know, I've, I've had the respect of others. And I think uh, if I was to describe my career throughout one word in one word that would be respect respect earned respect given to me and respect that in turn i have to give to others and growing up can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life which have formed who you are today 
I think there are two things that have shaped me. One is a person and one is perhaps now looking back over the last perhaps um, 30 years of my life, I think it's growing up poor. You know, growing up with uh, um, having to share with others. Growing up knowing that there may not be enough to share or uh, you have to give to others. Uh, growing up having to make a lot of sacrifice and seeing your parents making a lot of sacrifice so that you can get the best education, so that you can get ahead in life. So this is something that really uh, has shaped the way I think, I look at the world, and I want to influence the world in a big way. And this is growing up uh, not, with not having enough is something that should be cherished and talked about. It is not a point of shame in somebody's life. Because are there, there are other people going through that and they should see in you that element, that level of inspiration to say, aha, I can go there. I can reach that level as well. So I think for me it's uh, um, growing up, um, making a lot of sacrifice along the way and um, not having sort of a silver spoon uh, you know, in my mouth and having to really earn everything along the way. But also having people in my lives who have really influenced me. I know two women who have really influenced me, and that is one auntie who, whose passion and political activism really influenced me in a big way. But I remember one time in my childhood when my mother and my father were not working, and she fed us. She cared for us. And for me, you grow up never forgetting that kind of leadership, that kind of passion, that kind of, you know, wanting to help other people. And then there's another lady who really influenced me in a big way because when I, um, I uh, earned a scholarship, I didn't want to take that scholarship. And I told my friends, my mom, you know, I want to work. I want to start working and earning some money. And I remember she called me, and I remember it was the 3rd of January 1995 and she said you will waste your future away you will throw it away if you don't take that scholarship and I'm talking to you as an auntie as a big sister as a mother please make the right decision but this is this is what I'm saying about I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> as we speak because <laughs> challenges as a young person you do not have that foresight yes and and she had it. She had it. And she was right. And she was right. But we need that kind of people. I have to become that kind of person now to another 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 woman, another man, another person. I have in turn, I have to become that auntie, you know. And not becoming that is failing those who have helped me along the way. And it's failing the very society I want to change. I want to make things happen. Start turning towards the working side of life. You've built a professional career which has stretched across media, communication, politics, from being a reporter in the Seychelles Broadcasting Corporation to editor and head of communications, member of the National Assembly, leader of government business in your country, and now a high commissioner. Can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career and when you understood that serving your country would be such a big part of your destiny? 
Um, I will answer your question in, in a bit of a roundabout way, um, Dr. Malka. Um, first, I wanted to be a lawyer. Really wanted to be a lawyer and uh, set my heart and mind to becoming a lawyer. And then suddenly I became a journalist. And then I saw myself becoming a politician. And it did occur to me until much, much later in my life that all three careers, all I wanted to do was represent somebody else. I wanted to become the voice of the voiceless. I wanted to become the voice of somebody who couldn't speak for him or herself. I wanted to um, make a lot of noise. I wanted to be heard. I suppose I had so many things I wanted to say and so many things I wanted to do. It's a big responsibility. Big responsibility because uh, you have to, you have to you have to have balance. You have to do it in a very responsible way. But all I I think now looking back, all I've ever wanted to do is represent represent society, uh, represent the voiceless, um, those who need to be represented. Hi, Commissioner. We are unfortunately running out of time. Yes. Can I please ask you, in closing out our conversation today, to share a few words of inspiration which you would like to pass on to the women in Africa that are listening to our show today? Yes. I have a personal mentor that I want to share, and that's from Aristotle. And he says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Um, this sort of personal mantra has really shaped me into the person I am. If we do not become what we want, or, you know, uh, when he says you are what re you repeatedly do, every single day matters. It's not just about giving an interview. It's going out there and seeing somebody needing help and actually making it happen, if we can, making it happen to that person. It's going to church and uh, um, helping in the community. It's going to the schools and helping out. It's talking to young people. But on everyday level, it, does, it, it cannot be cosmetic. What we are cannot be cosmetic. And if we want to excel at something, for those who want really passionately want to excel at something, excellence is not an act. It's not something, it's not a thesis that you write. And then you achieve. It's not a certificate that you get. You know, it's not a, a sort of a medal that you get. It is a habit. It becomes you. Excellence becomes you. And you become what you repeatedly do. I think that's an incredibly important message. And also the context that you gave around it in practicing excellence as a habit. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been wonderful having you on the program. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'm really very happy that you've invited me to the program. It's given me the chance to really address some of the issues that I'm very passionate about, and I'm sure uh, those listening will hopefully take a bit out of, out of the program and you know run away with it. Take it. It's yours. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Miss Marie Antoinette Rose Catre, who is the High Commissioner of Seychelles to the Republic of South Africa.